Thanks for listening to the Great F Podcast. Great Podcast. We meet inspiring people from around the world. to make our final descent into the Gray Avenue. The local time is what it is, and the temperature is good degrees. This is where curious minds, entrepreneurs, daredevils, hustlers, and problem solvers converge. On your left is the world of productivity and success, home of the unicorns themselves. For your safety and comfort, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened until the captain turns off the fastened seatbelt sign. On behalf of the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for listening to the Gray Ave Podcast. We are also on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Rate and write us a review. You can also download each episode on www.greyjobessie.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys and girls? My name is Gray, and this is another episode of the Gray Out Podcast. And this is a show where... Curious minds, entrepreneurs, daredevils, hustlers, and problem solvers converge. Creatives, whatever you can, yeah, you can call it. Uh, I interview people from around the world. There's no borders, and we discuss different topics and you know subjects, important stuff that you and me can learn something from. And you know, these podcasts I started last year, and it's aging like wine, meaning. It's getting better with time. I know as much as I do it, I continue to love doing it, which is awesome. Uh, that means it has a potential of having a very long lifespan because I mean, I'm enjoying doing this. And uh, one of the reasons is that now I'm even being able to get people that I have been trying to get hold of. You know, like I'm getting the folks that I've always had in mind, like, oh, if I ever speak to that guy one day, that's going to be awesome. And today is no difference, guys. We have Color Theory, or some of you know him as Brian Hazard. He is a musician from the United States. Most of you know, if you're a music nerd out there on the internet, you probably are familiar with him. He started making music in the 90s, and he has been making music his whole life. And, you know, he managed to stand as an independent artist all his life. To this point that he even managed to evolve to the social media game. To this day, as we speak, he has like over 2.5 million followers on Twitter. And his music still sounding awesome. Um, you would definitely give it a listen if you never heard about him. But just to give you a quick brief from Wikipedia, what Wikipedia says. Color Theory is the musical outer ego of American singer, keyboardist, songwriter Brian Hazard. Hazard has released nine studio albums, nine EPs, three remix collections, and one set of demos to date. His latest album, Adjustments, was released on May 27th. And just to, keep, to get it out there, uh, Brian has won the John Lennon songwriting contest before. So that's my guest for today, Color Theory. Uh, we discussed a lot of things, especially on the creative side of things, because he's a really creative guy. He went through his process, and man, this is definitely one of the conversation that I've, you know, I, I enjoyed having. Yeah, you you'll be able to tell just by listening to this how honest and awesome this guy is. So 
Brian, thanks again for coming to my podcast. I really enjoyed this. And guys, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Carlo Theory. Most people know you as a musician, obviously. And because of your longevity, I guess a lot of people know you for you know, different type of sounds or different type of things, for example. I know you for your EDM. And I know other people who knows you for something else, like how and Wikipedia obviously writes something else as well. Um, how do you put all this together? Like, how do you explain yourself? You know, I don't. I don't think I do a very good job of it. Uh, I I should have a better you know elevator pitch that tells people what I do. Um, yeah, I mean, usually I to just somebody on the street, I, I will usually say I'm a recording engineer. Um, rather than right. rather than a recording artist, um, it, it I feel like saying recording artist sounds a little pretentious um, or a little like like I'm living in a fantasy world and don't you know don't understand the realities of <laughs> because they haven't you know they haven't heard of me as an artist most likely um, you know the people in my day to day life so uh, but you know when people say oh you do music what what kind of music you know I usually say oh you know imagine I get compared a lot to Depeche Mode, but with, you know, I've got a lot more piano in there. And they're like, oh, cool. And that's usually about it. You know, I don't, I don't um, expect the people that I encounter to really seek out or care about my music. Um, you know, and that goes for friends and family. Um, you know, if they, if they do, more power to them, but I don't really push it on people. I figure the fans that I have are basically through the internet. Um, and and I think that's fantastic because it doesn't affect the way that you know I'm that I live in the world. Like I am not a local artist in any sense. I don't perform. I mean, I'm completely off the map. So I don't really, um, you know, the fact that I live in Southern California, there's nothing specific about what I do that makes me a uh, a California artist. So, right. So. Speaking of that, uh, you're a, a musician who have a certain uh, level of influence, obviously, especially on the internet. And there are artists who would say who make the major radio plays and stuff like that, you know, with different type of music. And there are always artists like you who create in a different way, who make different type of music. Um, what what do you think creates that that bridge? What what creates the bridge between the artists that are in front, or most people would say have heard of, or mm -hmm. the ones that are always in the background doing creative work, and the other ones who are in the front usually ends up sampling the work of the others. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> and the ones who are in the underground, long term, are referred as the greatest artists or of the certain generation or certain time. What do you think creates that uh, creates that distinction? And that is that is a fantastic question that I haven't really thought much about. You know, um, I guess if I were a little more jaded, I could say, oh, well, they they had a break and they they're signed to a big label and that's it. Um, but I I guess I'm a little after doing this for so long, I'm a little more kind of humble than that. Like, I, I think when I look at some of the the artists that are popular now, for the most part, I don't have the reaction that a lot of my peers have, which is, 
you know, everything on the radio is crap and, and I'm doing this amazing stuff and why don't people appreciate me? And I don't feel that way. I feel like this, when I really take time to listen, which unfortunately is rare, I, I don't really get to listen to music for pleasure, but I feel like most of the stuff I listen to, I, I'm kind of amazed by it. And I feel like, wow, that's, I'm not up to that level yet. Um, so I think, I think that I, I do have an influence, you know, I, I, I'm a mastering engineer by day. So I've, I've worked kind of, you know, on a lot of different records. Um, and then I have blogged about music promotion. And so I think, I think those things, and to a certain degree, my music, those things give me a certain platform, but I feel like the music itself, you know, for better or worse, it's not, it doesn't really fit with, music that's coming out now it's it's like it's not part of the conversation it's not it's not driving you know the style forward or or exposing people to to something totally new there's something nostalgic about what i do um and so i feel like it in a way it sort of disqualifies it from from you know kind of being at the same level as as some of that other stuff at the same time i mean looking at what I do, which, you know, is, is kind of an 80s style synth pop. And you mentioned the EDM, you know, previously I had um, more EDM elements in my music. I'm not, I'm not doing that as much now, but um, you know, it also does feel like there certainly is a degree of luck involved and that I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like strangers, stranger things, you know, the show took off and then the style of music synth wave that, that, is most commonly associated with that. There are a lot of really popular synthwave artists that are doing music very much in the style that I have done for for years. That um, you know that that I I've been part of an electronic music community for a long time, and and these people are totally outside of that community, um, and they've kind of rose to to prominence. So uh, you know, a lot of it's hard hard to say, but I do feel. Um, kind of a profound respect for for a lot of the artists that that are you know that are popular on the scene and and i don't at all feel uh feel resentful um at the same time i I don't perform i've never wanted to be famous i'm i'm pretty introverted and so i i kind of appreciate like i think there may be an element of self-sabotage with (laughs) with you know too good an opportunity arises i i tend to um you know, get scared of it. And, and, um, so, you know, that, that was a very complicated and detailed answer that may have not even, <laughs> that may have been a non-answer, but that's kind of where I, where I am with that right now. So it, everything in its place and, and I'm happy with what I'm doing and happy that I have fans that support what I'm doing, even though it's nowhere near the scale as a lot of other artists. Right. So I have another question to the sim to the same subject. And that is, if you well, on a pop song, you would listen to an interview with a music musician and would say like, "Oh, you know, I worked on this song uh, in a day. You know, I just came up with it yeah. in a few hours and it was done and out, right?" Yeah. And then you get other artists who like w- would tell you they spent you know weeks or sometimes months working on a on a project. Mm-hmm. And I like I study a lot of, a lot of producers. Uh, especially instrumentalists who make some of these pop songs 
And what they do, they sample the work of the guys that spend a lot of time creating the music, right? Right. Uh, you know, those are the guys that you find in the in the record stores, at the vinyl stores and stuff like that. And the producers usually go to those places and search for that material and create something. And then the pop singer would actually come and create something from there. It happens like that sometimes. So what do you think about the... Uh, the music experience uh, from a uh, from the listener um, perspective, like it's easier to it's like you can create something so quick and people would just happen to like it or it would become more popular. Or so, um, do you think people actually like most of the music that's being played, or it's because they um, expose so much to it? Is it like is it an exposure thing, or yeah, what it, what it is? Do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I think people do really like what's being played. I know, I know what you mean that there's, there's kind of this derivative aspect of a lot of music these days, whether they're directly sampling from something else or, you know, what it reminds me of is, is when I was a kid, like I was really into comic books, um, and, and back then, every hero or whatever kind of had their own little universe, and if you know, Spider-Man was doing one thing in Manhattan and X-Men were in Manhattan. It would never occur to you like, hey, these guys are in the same place. Why don't they ever see each other? Like, why does Spider-Man have to do this? Because X-Men are there and, you know, this would just be perfect for Cyclops or, you know. And then they introduced the idea of a crossover, right? Where one one hero goes in another hero's book. And I feel like like music these days is just the popular stuff is, is a series of crossovers, right? I mean, some of these DJs like, you know, uh, or like David Guetta or something, the whole album is just every track is featuring some other popular artist. They're all crossovers. So it's all, it, it's all combining. Um, it's all just, yeah, mixing and matching um, popular things to create something more popular. And I think, I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't know about, sampling other artists work directly although that is becoming more and um i forget the name of the service but one of the major labels just signed on to it where basically you can use any element of another artist's work on their label no matter how small the, the tiniest sample and you and it it algorithmically detects it and licenses it to you so if you're a dj and you want to make a mix that has parts of these other tracks, you're totally free to do that. And um, anyway, it's it's pretty slick. So I think I think there's a demand for that, and I think that uh, technology is going to facilitate that. And I I do feel like it's it's a positive thing. Um, I mean, if you take say electronic music and all the the different subgenres and whatever the hot new genre is, right? It's always on the back of what came before it and combining different elements. And I think that's, that's kind of what moves the conversation forward. And referring back to your previous question, I think that's where for myself as an artist, where I've kind of opted out of that entire conversation, um, why I don't, I don't get upset that maybe I don't have the popularity of some of these other artists that are really at the forefront and, and doing something, you know, different every month. Um, you know, it's just a, a totally different aesthetic. Um, so, but yeah, so, and it, none of this really affects me that much. I mean, to be honest, you know, I just kind of do what I do. And it's like I say, it's, there's, I hope there's kind of a timeless quality to it. And, um, 
and for the most part, I mean, I'm not I'm not borrowing from anybody else consciously. Of course, there's always, you know, you're always influenced by what you've heard, and and you can't help that. But yeah. right, uh, this is these are just questions that I you know I ask myself when I look at the music industry and how it operates as an observer, because. Sure. The other question that comes to me is now the, the longevity of some of the music. Like the, it, it happens that the most popular music doesn't always mm -hmm. seem to be uh, to stand the uh, the test of time. Sometimes, and also like I don't understand. Like, okay, if this song was liked by X amount of people, why don't, don't people like it anymore? Like five years from now, should could be the same people who listen to it uh, five years then. How about the, the new? people who came after years after that that do not like the same song so it's just like confusing to me sometimes oh yeah no no no. i have a, I have a pretty easy answer for that it's not the music at all in my opinion it, it's completely about the way that we consume media now and you know you pop up in spotify and you are faced with what's new i mean it's all about what's new and you know I don't know if you, you've experienced this, but like if I want to have a listening session, maybe I'll check out a bunch of stuff. And, and if it doesn't, if it's not doing it for me, you know, by the end of the first chorus or sometimes the first 30 seconds, you just skip. And then when there's a new album you want to hear, maybe you'll get through it once and then you never come back to it because there's all this other stuff you want to hear. And so I think it's just that our, our attention spans have shrunk um, so drastically because we're never sated. There's always, there's always new material for us to consume and there's no time to go back and really develop a deep appreciation for, um, for some of this music. Now, I, I guess to be fair, um, music is evolving to, to fit that, you know, that recipe so that it does have that. I mean, like you can't have a two minute instrumental intro. That would be suicide, right? You, no, right got no, you can't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so in that sense, music does have to evolve to, to suit our short attention span. So I guess it goes both ways. But um, yeah, mostly I blame the way that we that we listen to music. You know, it used to be when you had to buy something. I had a rule that it was it was at least three listens. Like if I bought a CD, I'd had to listen all the way through at least three times before I decided I didn't like it. You know, and then I'd sell it back or whatever and lose five bucks net in the process. But you know, there was there was a personal investment in it, and by the time you bought it, you'd already decided that you were going to give it a real chance. And nowadays, there's no reason to give anything a real chance because you pay ten bucks and you have all the music in the world. <laughs> yeah, but I still live by that rule. Like I, I listened to an album at least twice for the first time, and then from there I see if I can ever listen to it, uh, which. It, it, Fewer albums actually makes it to that level where I can, you know, I keep on listening, uh, listening right, to it again right. and again. I don't know what happens, but usually whenever I listen to a new album, it just doesn't sound right to me. <laughs> and then when I, I, I listen <laughs> to it again, then I start to get it like, oh, okay. And then, you know, if I recall something from the album, like a few days, a, a few days later, then I might, might get back to it. Then that means it's actually on my playlist from there. Yeah, um, no, I hear you. And, and also if you see... It's funny, you can hear a song and then like maybe maybe on YouTube like there's the video and you see the video and it like totally reframes your experience of the song. And now like it seems like it's so much better. And same with, you know, I don't go to live shows, but if you if you, you know, if you do, you know what I mean. You you hear it live and now suddenly 
you know, what you thought was some filler track, like now it all makes sense and now you'll give it some time. So, but just, you know, in the, the normal pop it on Spotify, maybe it's background music where you're not giving it your full attention. Yeah. It's really hard for stuff to, to rise above and, and to, um, to be worthy of repeat listens. Right. So one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is you have been making music for as long as I've been alive, even longer. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did you manage to stand the test of time? And for the most part, you have been an independent artist, right? How did you, at this point, I can understand because there's so many ways to actually run the game and you know still commercialize mm-hmm. your material. But back then, say in the 90s, did you have a label back then at all at one point no no i never had a label um actually you see so that's interesting so you see it as now you can see how uh somebody could survive but actually it was the opposite i was doing way better in the 90s um <laughs> i mean i don't get me wrong i had i had very relatively few fans and and way fewer people actually listening to the music but back then um I would sell physical CDs and maybe make $1,200 a month and I could count on that. Um, so it's very different. And now, you know, and then it switched over to iTunes and then, you know, it could be a couple hundred dollars a month and it just continues to drop, um, as far as actual, you know, financial support. Um, all the while, while, you know, the number of people actually listening to my music, signing up for my email list, all that stuff that has continued to go up. Um, so it's, yeah, I guess that would kind of explain the longevity was that in the nineties, it was actually a higher percentage of my income and I could justify spending more time working on my music. Whereas now, um, you know, I, I have more work than I can really handle as a, as a, mastering engineer and also just doing mixing and production for other artists. Um, what I really want to be doing is working on my own music, but at the same time I can spend 50 hours, you know, writing and recording and producing a track of my own, um, you know, and, and get $500 from my Patreon because that's the track I released that, that month. Um, you know, or I could work, you know, five hours for somebody else and, and make the same money. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a tricky situation. Um, so, and as I get older, it, it, the equation kind of changes. Like I wouldn't 20 years ago, I wouldn't have necessarily thought I'd still be making music because I would look at somebody my age as kind of irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> but now <laughs> you know? still, um, you're still listed. So I saw some articles some other time, like, you know, the new break on the scene or something like that. And they listed you on that list. Right. Like, the, the new artist coming up. I was like, oh, <laughs> only if you Yeah, knew. that's right. I was on some, yeah, exactly. Artists to look for like this year or something. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I guess that's what obscurity can, can kind of do for you is, right? You, you're always new to somebody else. But um yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a, a tricky business, but I you know I just keep doing it because my goal is really not so much about it's certainly not about money as I just kind of explained. Like it's it's a little harder to justify from a financial perspective when I am when I'm working on my own music when I could be making money. I mean that's that's really the only 
the only aspect of the money that's important to me is that making money from my music allows me to do it. Um, but really the whole point is to create this, this catalog of work that I'm really proud of and that, that uniquely represents me as an individual. And so that's what I'm working towards. I mean, if I can make money, great. Um, but as long as people are listening, that's kind of, that's the most important thing. Right. So for you not signing to a major or to a label before, was that by design or? Yeah, no, I never wanted to do that. Um, you know, and I think a part of that was, uh, you know, I don't perform at all. And I never really wanted to perform. Now, the irony is that I was a performance major in college. Like I got my degree in piano performance. So, but I never really, you know, it was just a lot of stress and never any payoff for me. Um, so I did it for a few years as color theory. I, I played, uh, we over here we have, well, you may have them there too, Borders, Books and Music, we used to have. And um, there was a whole circuit that you could play at all the different Borders. And, you know, so it was a big store that sold books and they sold CDs and they carried my CD. And so I did that circuit for about three years, just kind of playing on weekends. And just because everybody said, you know, oh, well, you're not selling a lot of CDs. It's because you don't play live. You have to play live. That's how you're going to get these fans. And I just didn't, I didn't feel like number one, like I was that great. I mean, a lot of people appreciated it. And occasionally there'd be some stranger mouthing the words to my song, which is super cool and gratifying. But for the most part, you know, it was, I don't think it was, I'm the best performer ever. And I certainly didn't enjoy it that much. And so. I gave that up and I think that any label would really expect that you perform. Um, so just taking that off the table would, would arguably make it, make it very difficult to, um, to succeed in. But you know, I got allergies, I got asthma. Some days my voice agrees with me, other days um, you know, I can blow it out in 20 minutes. And so I just, yeah, it's just not for me. Right. And one of the questions uh, from some of my listeners here is uh, for you have been making music for a very long time uh, in obviously recording and writing but is there a certain song or some songs that have a, um, a relevant meaning to your life or like a deep meaning that you look into all the time and it reminds you of that time? Well, I mean... Yes and no. So I'm, I'm kind of weird about this too. So here's another, besides not performing, another aspect of my, kind of the way I handle um, myself that, that is not a smart thing as far as selling records go. And that is that I don't really talk about the meanings behind the songs. You know, if I were going to be, if I were coaching somebody else on promoting their music, I would stress the importance of for every song, they need to have a story to explain to their fans that's going to hook people in and make them listen to the song. And while I think that's important for me, I I never do that. I just kind of here's the song. <laughs> I'm going to let it speak for itself. Um, and and the reason is because I I guess I'm kind of a private person. I don't really want to explain how it relates to my life, even though there's always a connection to, to what's going on in my life. It's rarely, is it going to be actually autobiographical? Um, but I guess I feel like that's kind of my own thing. That's, that's 
kind of private. And so, um, you know, I'll kind of let the song speak for itself. So in that sense, the songs aren't, you know, it's not like a diary for me. Um, there are certain songs like um, the perfect song, which I used as a proposal to my wife. I mean, that are clearly represent one time in my life, but you know, my favorite songs of mine that I look back on, they're more, I remember that, you know, the time in my life, but the songs themselves aren't necessarily about something that happened in my life. If, if that makes sense. Right. So, uh, speaking on that, so do you, where does the song come from in you, inside you? Like, where exactly is it coming from? Because um, I have done some music before, uh, a long time ago, and it would, obviously it's a different type of music, but like it usually came from a place when I felt something really strong. That's when I could actually start writing something. Otherwise, I just couldn't yeah. because I had no inspiration or motivation to do to, to actually write a song. I just wouldn't see it and just say, look, I'm going to force myself to start writing. That's actually one of the problems that I face when I'm doing deep work. I'm trying to uh-huh. do deep work on creative projects because it's really hard to, to just force myself to, to come up with something. You know, it has to come from somewhere. Where, where does it coming? Uh, where does it coming? Where is it coming from uh, on your side? Well, that, that's interesting. So for me, it is, I, I have the opposite mentality. I do think that it's important to, to sit down and do the work, especially when you're not inspired. And then hopefully the work will inspire you. Um, so instead of waiting for inspiration, I just try to get down to doing something. Now that said, I do have a huge text file of song titles that are or just little ideas that I've that I've written about um, that are kind of ready to go. So so if I've got, you know, I usually start with some basic production idea. So maybe there's a, a you know, a drum pattern, a bass line, some basic chords, and I've got that down. And now I need to turn that into a song. So maybe that'll have a certain feel to it. And I can look back at my, my list of all these kind of song titles and see what kind of feels like it matches the, the instrumental idea. Um, so that's typically what I'll, what I'll do. It's not, so it's not coming from a place of inspiration. Now that's not always the case. So for example, just yesterday I started working on a new song and this is a collaboration with, um, with, uh, it's a, it's a band called Elixir, but it's Kassan, Kassan. How do I not know how to say his name from, uh, <laughs> formerly a freeze pop Kassan Crooker, but we're, um, we're going to work on a song together. And so he kind of gave me an idea for maybe what he had in mind for the, the song. And, but yesterday was, it was the last day of summer and it just had a certain kind of feel to it the day with you know with kind of going back to school and just i don't know and so you know i'm writing this song called the last day of summer and so i won't say that inspiration never plays a role but and but for this yeah i definitely there was a feeling and i and i jumped on it and who knows if that's what the song is going to end up being but um you know for now that that works for me and if i'm not feeling it if i'm not feeling inspired well then i've got a zillion ideas already written down um, that I can just build on. Right. 
So speaking of ideas now, is uh, when I used to, I, this can be applied to many other creative projects to other people as well, but when I used to write music, which I still do sometimes, is that I would write something that I feel like it's really good for this moment, right? And I keep it. Mm -hmm. And if I look at it back maybe in a week or so, it doesn't feel the same anymore. I feel like it's terrible. Um, so <laughs> I don't know why. How do you manage to like uh, hold on to something for a very long period of time until it's completed and still th think and feel like this is actually the right thing? Well, so so for me, the, the songwriting part doesn't take that long. Like it's the it's the pr production, mixing, um, you know, tracking vocals. That's what takes forever. And so really. I try to get that that basic production stuff done quickly while it's still exciting and I try not the worst thing you can do and I'm sure you you've you've experienced this is you get a cool idea and then you like listen to it 20 times in a row like that's I try really hard not to do that even though the idea excites me at the time because the problem is once you've done that and you're so used to it you can't hear it the way that somebody else would hearing it for the first time. And it sounds to me like that's the way you're hearing it when you come back after a week. You're realizing that, you know, this excited me at the time, but now it does nothing for me. And if you if you haven't already played it to death, I would say at that point, it's probably worth moving on to another idea. So, you know what I mean? But I, I do let the song excite me. and But a lot of times it's it's, I really just don't know what, what works. I mean, I just finished the song called Untouchable that I was really excited about. And um, I don't know if you've read any of my my music promotion articles, but I used a service called Crowd Review yes. uh, on, on Reverb Nation. And I ran a report on that, and it really didn't score very well compared to <laughs> compared to another song that I, I did, the song Glory Days, that I released, uh, I think, one or two months ago now. Um, and that song is super simple and it just was, didn't take any time at all to make. And it has literally five tracks. Um, but people love it. And so what, what do I know? I don't know. I just, <laughs> if, if I could, if I could stay excited through the part where the song is written, then I can spend 40, 50 hours getting caught up in the technical details and really not care if I have that same passion for the song, because you know, because I'm working on getting the mix right and that I can put on a different hat for that. Um, but ultimately, I, I find like stuff like the crowd review is so helpful because, um, you know, I just really have no idea. I, th I thought I did. I thought I knew what was good. And I, I guess I always thought that if that if that excitement builds up inside of you and that, you know, if you're just in love with the track, like, it feels like other people would have to feel that way too yes. <laughs> intuitively yeah right intuitively just like just like if you if you've fallen in love with someone like there's this sense that they they must feel the same way about you because this this it just exists like like there's this emotion exists in the real world it feels that way but i've learned the hard way that that it doesn't it's just, <laughs> i could i could be totally over the moon with something i've i've created and other people could hate it. And so I just try to keep that in mind, get some outside perspective. And really, I should be dropping a lot of tracks a lot sooner 
than I do. I shouldn't, I should not be finishing everything. And unfortunately I do just like, you know, if I start a book, I'm going to finish the book. Even if it's a bad book, I'm going to finish it. And, uh, and that's a weakness on my part. <laughs> right. And speaking about love, um, I, I actually struggle with the same idea of like, of that this, the way that I'm feeling the other person more likely does not feel the same about me <laughs> and that yeah. just makes me more um, defensive on my part and I just end up not getting involved with anything because I'm so scared of that part of like okay you know I might just be overcommitted into something that the other person isn't so it's uh, I totally get it it's a very hard position to be it's more like music as well I might be in love with a song and if somebody jumps into my car to get a ride I will play it so loudly yeah. because I feel like <laughs> there will be any too, but then they'll be like, oh, do we, can we have, can we change the song or something? I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's the worst. I know. Can you turn it down? You're like, oh, yeah. Heart <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, now let's jump into social media. Sure. Yeah. This is for someone who have been, you know, you've started from the nineties all the way uh, and you're still doing music today. How, when did you realize that social media was actually something to jump on that would actually help as well in your career? Because you do it so well. Oh, boy. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, I mean, I could sound really old and take you through the whole progression, but I mean, you know, I guess even, M you, you don't remember, and there, there was a site called mp3.com. Um, I would say that was at least to my memory, the biggest, um, you know, kind of social experiment with music where, where clearly it was making a huge difference. In fact, the way that this site worked was that the more plays you got, you actually got paid every month. And wow. there were a whole bunch of musicians that just formed groups playing each other's music. And I mean, I would get hundreds of dollars a month I mean, can you imagine that if I get hundreds of dollars a month from Spotify? It's like, it's completely different now. But, yeah. but back then, I mean, that was, that was the power of just connecting. And it was really just with other musicians. You know, there weren't fans on that site. Um, and then on Napster, same idea. Like Napster, you could talk to other people. Um, but I guess it wasn't until MySpace where it was really, you know, where it was a genuine social network um, where you're reaching out to fans. And, I wasn't that great at MySpace, to be honest. I was, you know, yeah, back then it was it was still more about getting on compilation CDs and selling physical media. Um, so I, I would say that I haven't, I don't know that there was ever a light bulb, you know, moment with, with social media and, and, you know, realizing that this is the way to go. Uh, because I always try to at least keep up. Um, but, you know, social media use has changed a lot now, too. I mean, nowadays, if I like, OK, so, for example, this morning um, I had I had a run. So it was my third 12 mile run in a row. And it was this was way too hard for me because <laughs> 30, 36 miles in three days. I was just exhausted and I totally ate it. Like coming back, I fell really hard on my hand and I posted a picture on Twitter of my bloody hand. Um, yeah, I saw that with the yeah with the blood in in the, in the hands, right, in your palms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this will get a hundred times more engagement than me posting 
check out my new song. Like it just, <laughs> it doesn't even work anymore. Like you just can't even do that. So it's, it's always changing. And so now I guess the, the smart money is on social media, just being a way to establish your voice. And if I'm being in marketing speak, it's your brand, right? And just kind of establishing your, your brand and not as a sales channel. So, um, and, and I will say too, as a sales channel, if all I cared about was sales, or even if all I cared about was people listening to my music, I almost feel like I could drop social media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the people who are my who are my patrons on on Patreon, the ones who actually support me and actually, you know, are willing to give me a few bucks a month for what I do, these are for the most part people who have followed me for many years, and and a lot of them aren't aren't even on social media or they're not, they're certainly not on Twitter, which is my main social network. So, um, so I do go back and forth on the value of it. Um, cause it, it, it's easily a time sink, right? I could spend, I could spend 10 hours a week on Twitter, no problem and feel somewhat justified in doing that as if, well, it's just my, you know, I'm spending my time promoting my music. Like it's all good. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure it really, it really translates because like I said, the things that people engage with and react to in my experience have very little to do with my music. And when it's about my music, I generally, you know, some people will click through, but for the most part, I think people don't want, they feel even a little reluctant to reply because you know, if they, if they haven't heard the song, they don't want to, you know, stick their neck out there. They just, you know, so when you say something self-promotional, people tend to just kind of ignore it. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, so it's just a really tricky landscape now. And, and I, I don't ever feel like I've mastered it. And when I posted the thing about falling and hurting my hand, I mean, that's just, I don't know, that had, to me, it doesn't even come from a place that has anything to do with, my brand or my music it's just here's what's up um you know it's it's yeah it's it could be my personal account for all i care and i could i could just be a computer programmer and not be doing music and i would be posting the same stuff i think right now social media is kind of working for people who are looking for say validation you know in terms of say in the world of instagram for example uh, mm-hmm. The people who want to get see how many likes they get for how they look on that day or the kind of makeup <laughs> they have. <laughs> yeah. I think for those people who are looking for that kind of validation, like a number of likes and make, uh, and be happy with that, I think it's working for them. But right. th- there should be, uh, I think, another way to figure out for people who are actually trying to sell something or, you know, if you're trying to put a project out for support or you're dropping your music project, for example, like you said, because it's really hard to get people to attend into something that really matters to you <laughs> uh, yeah. for some yeah. reason. It's crazy. I don't know if it has always been like that in the, when you started, say, on MySpace. Was it, like, was it exactly the same? No. Uh, so the kind of distinguishing feature back then in the early 90s is what that I actually had a CD um, so so the, the problem now is you know anybody can make a track I mean absolutely anybody 
um, can record music or, you know, make a video or any of that stuff. And so everybody wants you to engage with their, their content and it's just so overwhelming. But back then, um, just the fact that I had a CD and they cost a lot of money to make, um, that was a distinguishing feature that was enough to be taken seriously. So yeah, it was, a, it was kind of easier in that sense to get people to, um, to engage with you because there were just so fewer people, you know, pushing out links. Um, so it just, it just was a, a different, different landscape. So, you know, nowadays it's, yeah, it's, it's near impossible to the point where I almost don't want to even post when I've got something new uh, because it's just like take Facebook right on your Facebook page, you, your organic reach, how many people actually see your message is largely based on how people engage with your previous messages. Absolutely. And if your previous messages yeah, are self-promotional and people aren't engaging with them, then you're really shooting yourself in the foot uh, for the long run. So, yeah, it's just uh, it's just really, really tough. Um, and at the same time, I mean, there's something to be said for for people who just argue, you know what? Social media is just it's just a, have fun with it. Just, you know, it's just your voice. Just be yourself. Um, share share what you feel like sharing and don't worry about it. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of merit to that approach. And and that has been my approach lately. I mean, because the smart money, like if I just wanted to, to be pro-marketer, I mean, I would, and I, I mean, don't get me wrong, maybe I will do this someday if I find the time. Um, I could make a list of 100 tweets, right, that, that refer to maybe old songs I did or some kind of interesting point about something I, you know, did when this song happened or whatever it is or this article that I wrote about promoting on this thing and just have this huge uh, bed of, of tweets ready to go. Right. And then queue them all up in buffer or something like that, or tweet deck where I'm, I'm tweeting like 10 times a day and it's all organized so that I'm not tweeting about the same thing too often. You know, maybe I'm tweeting 60% about other people and 20% about my stuff and 20% about my life and super organized and like, if I did that, I would get better engagement and I would be winning more at social media. But ultimately, I just, yeah, I just feel like it's not worth it. Like, what's, what's the point? Like, it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's just so massive. But if, I mean, if I were a social media manager or if I were telling somebody else what, what to do, that's what I, I would say. You know, you've got to, that's the way to, to kind of win at social media. But yeah, it's ultimately, uh, it's just, it's just so tough. And for one person too, it's, it's really, you you've got to make a choice between, you know, do I do that or do I make music? So, right. It, it sounds like it's a contest of, uh, and the war against <laughs> the persona that you're trying to create and, um, your, your personality or your private life, because it seems like if you had, for example, post something more personal to you, like if I so if somebody had to post uh, about a fight with his wife or, or her husband, that would definitely get more engagement. And that's what, those are the type oh, yeah. of posts that people actually get into. But then it becomes a trade between the two, okay? Is it your life or your brand or whatever you're trying to create? 
So it just makes yeah. it very, very hard. No, that's exactly right. Like, I think, I think if I, yeah, if I did have a fight with my wife and I wrote <laughs> all about it, you know what I mean? And about how I felt and about how this happened and that happened, that, that yeah, that people would be really drawn into it. They could connect with it and that it would naturally lead to them wanting to listen to the song and maybe, and maybe really listening to the lyrics and, and making a connection with that song that, that they otherwise wouldn't because, you know, we're only listening kind of halfway, right? You're not hearing all the words and thinking about how it relates to your life. And uh, so, yeah, I, I really, I do think that, that there's a lot of uh, potential there for people who are, you know, maybe it just has to do with being younger too, you know, where, where people have grown up with social media, where they're not afraid to kind of share their day-to-day life and their, you know, emotional struggles and all that. I, I wonder how it'll affect them when it's time to get a job. But anyway, <laughs> you know, that I, I do think that, that that makes you a lot more relatable. But I don't know, already it's weird to say meet a friend that I haven't seen in a couple months and like go to lunch and like, they already know about stuff because they saw it on yeah. social media. It's like, what? Oh, you knew that? Oh, yeah. All right. I guess we don't have anything to talk about. You know, I don't. Know. Right. Um, now, <clears throat> let's jump into deep work. But before we get into that, um, since your your life has changed uh, uh, as compared to when you started, now you have family, you got kids, you have other things going. Do you think? that work-life balance really do exist? <laughs> that, that's a good question. So I could go both ways on that. So I do try to find a balance. I mean, just by having some sort of routine um, to my, and structure to my day, um, I like to, you know, meditating, running, like those, you know, I, I do those every day. Um, at the same time, I think life is most exciting when it's out of balance because you're so excited about the thing that you're doing that you make time for it. I mean, whether ideally that would be a new song, right? That would be a song that you're just so excited about that you kind of push everything else to the side and you focus on that song. I, unfortunately, that's pretty rare. Um, so I, I struggle with that. I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, I mean, I've tried, um, so right now, right now I'm looking at my, my desk, I, I mean my kind of mixing desk and I have a, a calendar printed out for August and every day on the calendar, there's either an X or an O and the X's represent the days that I was able to put in at least one hour working on my music. Um, so it's, it actually picked up at the end of the month. I'd say it's, it's about two thirds X's. So. And I, that doesn't count the weekend. So maybe 16 days out of this month, I was able to put in one hour on my music. Is that is that balanced? I mean, unfortunately, it, it kind of is. And, and the fact is, if I didn't even have that little calendar up, I, I could easily go the whole month getting caught up in other projects and not even work on my own music. Um, but what I really want to be doing is dropping the other projects and working on my music 100% and getting so lost in that that I'm not meeting other people's deadlines, um, you know, but I don't let myself do that. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky question. Um, I think that for me, like, like I mentioned, the meditation that, that has 
become a, a really big part of my life over the last couple of years, at least by meditating regularly and being mindful. Um, I feel like I'm using my time a lot more productively. The little time that I do have, that it that it tends to be focused and with a clear direction, as opposed to, you know, the old days. Maybe I had to share an announcement on Facebook, and then but while I'm on Facebook, I mean, look what's on the newsfeed, and next thing you know, it's been 20 minutes, and you know, that kind of thing happens a lot less. So I can be a little more focused on what it is I want to do. But my schedule is kind of not my own, and so ultimately it's really hard to f- to find true balance when you're not in control of, of where your time goes, a large percentage of it. So. Right. And what does deep work um, mean to you? How do you go about it? Does that mean switching off all the social media, switching off your phone? And how many hours do you actually concentrate, or can you... How much can you keep up in terms of uh, working on the same thing straight off? Oh, I'm yeah. I remember after reading, yeah, Cal Cal Newport's book Deep Work. I was really trying to get those. I think hour and a half session. I think is what the recommendation was. An hour and a half I found was a little tough for me. Like I would be looking at the clock towards the end. Um, what I try to do now is is in an ideal world, I will not check my email. Like the way I think of it, working an hour on my music, so just the one hour, unlocks my email in the morning. So until I've done that one hour, my email is locked. And all that, those little dopamine bursts that come from, you know, getting all these exciting messages and things that, you know, you didn't know was coming and hearing from so-and-so and finding out what's going on in the world or there's a software update for your synth or whatever it is, all that has to wait. Um, and I think that allows kind of a deeper, at least to get in that one hour of deep work where, you know, where my mind isn't thinking about all the other things that I have to do for the day because I don't know what those things are yet. But honestly, if I can, if I, so I track all my time on the, the computer actually working using a, a site called Toggle. Um, and there's a little desktop app. So I know what I'm actually doing and all the time that I track is focused work. I don't know. I don't know if it's fair to say it's all deep work. You know, sometimes I feel like the email and stuff isn't deep work, but at least it, it's the work that I know I want to be doing at the time. Um, so anyway, I'm, I would say I average maybe four hours a day of honest to God, real focused work. I mean, that, that's a good day for me. So balance, I don't know. I, I'm still looking for that. I try not to work on weekends, but I think I have the last few months. Um, so I, I think probably the, uh, the family balance could, could be a little better these days. Um, but that, that's always a work in progress. Right. So I have a few questions here, just some quick box questions. Sure. Uh, let's see how – look, you don't have to answer them, but um... – <laughs> okay. Yeah. Number one is favorite city in Africa if you have ever been there. I have never been. I'd love to go. So no, I don't. I don't have a favorite. Right. If you had to go back uh, a certain age, which age would you be in, and why? Oh, that that's pretty easy now. I'd say high school. Uh, you know, I'm, because I'm my son just 
started high school yesterday, as I mentioned, he's going to the same school that I went to. And so, yeah, so it's, it's exciting. I mean, and I think, see, he's already better off than, than me because of, because of what I know now and what I didn't know then, you know, like he's in, he's in cross country, he's doing tennis team. Like I, I didn't, my parents never got me into sports. I don't know. I just think of, you know, a lot of the friendships that I still have now are from that time. And I still keep in touch with a lot of those people. And, um, yeah. And that's, that's actually really when I started getting serious about music. I was in drumline. I played piano in the, in the jazz band. Um, so that, that time really informed a whole lot about, about kind of what I ended up doing as an adult and, and it was just a lot of fun. So yeah, I would love to do that. Right. And the most boring thing in the world to you? (laughs) Uh, Well, see, now I try not to think in that context because mindfulness, being, being fully engaged in anything, even as quote unquote boring as watching your breath, if you are truly paying attention, it's not boring. Um, so I will, so there's my perfect world answer. My real world answer is probably tuning vocals because <laughs> I do so much of it and it's just so, it requires a deep level of concentration and I have been tuning a lot of vocals lately for projects where my family just really, they, they keep closing the door to the studio because it's just so unpleasant to listen to. Um, so it's just very tedious work. And if I can do half an hour at a time, that's, that's good. Right. And what you believe in that most people disagree with you on? And this is like a, the popular Peter Thiel's question. Oh, God. Yeah, these kind of things are tough for me. This is why it's great as an adult. Like I've never, I've never really had a real job. You know, because I think that's like a job interview question that, <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like, like smart people would have prepared ahead for already. Like, you know, what's your greatest weakness? And, yeah. you know, you flip it around and it's really a strength, but it kind of sounds like a weakness. God, I, nothing is coming to mind, but I, I want to think there's a whole lot of things. What, what do I think differently than other? Gosh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could apply it to so many things. Like I'm thinking of, mastering right now you know mass being a mastering engineer that's kind of a dark art to most people um and there's so many technical aspects of that job that that when you read articles and stuff online about how to do it it just sounds so complicated that you would never want you'd never want to try it yourself right because it's just it's so confusing and and everybody says to do something different and um you know i i'm totally different on that like my process is very simple i can explain why you know 75 percent of the processing that people do to their mixes is unnecessary and ultimately harmful um i insist that everybody record this is very technical now at 44.1 kilohertz because it perfectly captures any audio signal when you know anybody else will tell you especially someone that is selling gear that Oh, you got to record at 192k and all this high fidelity stuff. Like, or even as a as a music consumer, tidal has their um, lot. They people pay twice as much a month for lossless streaming, 
And if music is encoded properly, I would say the way Spotify is, 95% of people won't be able to hear a difference even in a highly controlled environment. Um, so anyway, that is just going off in a mastering tangent. I, I guess I feel that way about so many things in my life that that I mean I don't I don't take it so far as to think I'm smarter than other people because I do things differently. I, I don't you know it's not that jaded again that I make music and it's so great and it's underappreciated and why don't people you know all the music on the radio is stupid and why don't people know like it's not that but I think that I am somewhat set in my ways. I like to research things. I like to really get to the bottom of things. And so there's, it just, it sheds away like a whole bunch of nonsense from all areas of my life where I feel like a lot of other people spend a lot of time, you know, being caught up in the weeds, um, worried about this kind of stuff that, that really, in a lot of ways, my life is very streamlined. It's very simple because I've been able to to get to the bottom of a lot of things and find out what's important and what isn't and uh, and just move on. And very last question, uh, your greatest regret? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's another one of those questions. Okay, you know, I got it. I got it. Um, I mentioned high school and my son going to, going to high school and, and me knowing now what, you know, having the advantage of, of my experience back then, honestly, like I didn't really know about much about colleges. Um, you'd think like a guidance counselor would pull you in and sit you down and say, what do you want to do? And let's talk about what you need to do to get there. I mean, that, that would be the smart thing, but there was nothing like that. It was, it was crazy. So if I could go back, I would go to Berkeley college of music in Boston. And if, and by doing that, I would have been doing the types of things that I do now, that I probably spent an extra 10 years trying to figure out on my own. You know, I wouldn't be as good at the piano, but that really doesn't matter because my piano abilities are not, don't come in very handy these days. Um, but that, you know, I, I have since encouraged other people. Like I had a, um, a piano slash songwriting student that went on to Berkeley and now works for a music publisher and just has an amazing network of, of friends and colleagues that he met through Berkeley. Um, so that just makes me feel even worse. So definitely if I go back in time, you know, instead of being a piano major, I would have gone back East, gone to Berkeley and got involved much sooner with the type of stuff that I'm passionate about now. Right. That's a very valid answer. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it was really great. Oh, absolutely. To you. It was yeah, likewise. Such a pleasure.